0: The biggest takeaway from the January 6 hearings that no one is talking about is this family, Stacey Abrams, employer, and President Biden challenges CNN's Jake Tapper to a workout. This is the Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. The show is back this week after a couple of unexpected days off last week. That was not the plan. I actually recorded three and a half hours of special report material And I was going to break that up into parts, and it was going to be released, you know, throughout the week. And when I went to go edit the files to break it up, the file was nowhere to be found. And as much as I would love to blame this on the CIA, the blame falls completely on me. Because I stream, I record in StreamYard, and there's a storage limitation. So what I do is I record, I download the file, then I delete it from StreamYard. What I did, apparently, and I didn't discover this until it was too late when I went to go edit it, is I downloaded duplicate files of another show and zero files of the three-and-a-half-hour show because I am an idiot, and that derailed the entire schedule for posting last week. So we will be back doing the regular shows this week, and I will get to that special report. I will re-record it, but that is the plight of the podcaster. Good to be back, though. You might notice, if you're watching this episode today, that I am wearing an Atlanta Braves shirt. Which is not something that I would typically do after the Braves just got blown out of the playoffs in a series that they were heavily favored to win, but I changed my policy on that. After seeing something on CNN, here's what it was. And uh, I know you're rooting for the Phillies.
1: That's a fact. <laughs> if I weren't, I'd be sleeping
0: alone. I'm married a Philly girl. Oh, yeah. Alright, thank you, sir. That is a fact indeed that the man who raised Hunter Biden was rooting for the Phillies to beat the Braves in the playoffs. The series was tied when he made that statement. Then immediately after that, the Braves just got destroyed in the two following games. Coincidence? I think not. So in light of this video evidence of the president attempting to meddle in the outcome of a Major League Baseball playoff series, I will not be accepting the outcome Of the NLDS, and I don't think the Braves should either. In fact, I don't think anyone should accept the outcome because for the integrity of Major League Baseball, we all have to take a stand against this corruption. That's why I'm announcing today that I'm organizing an effort to stop the steal and restore faith in the integrity of America's favorite pastime. I invite you all to join me. Hashtag stop the steal. What are the odds that gets me flagged and gets this show taken down? I guess we'll find out. So there I was after the Braves just, just, I mean, embarrassingly, it was one of the worst series I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was awful. Ready to hate all things Philadelphia because of this and just the Braves getting a beat down. But then something extraordinarily glorious happened that changed my tune a little bit. Here it is. If you can't tell, I guess I should describe this for listeners. Jill Biden went to the Philadelphia Eagles football game on Sunday and I can't tell where she looks like she's on the field and they're trying to sing or something, but they put her up on the Megatron and the Eagles fans, this is them booing and see if you can make out what they're saying. Okay so <laughs> there F Joe Biden making a comeback that, that that is very a persistent meme you're all right with me Philadelphia after that the best part about that for the those who are listening is Jill and whoever it is that she's with down on the field I, don't, I have no idea who that is they're apparently tr- singing something and they're encouraging fans like come on and they're like putting their arms up in the air and they're cheering. So it looks like they're egging the crowd on in their F Joe Biden chants and in their booze. Fantastic. You know what? A lot of respect for you now, Philadelphia. I was mad at you last week, but you're a OK in my book. So during that interview that Tapper did with Biden, there was another moment where Tapper asked Joe the same thing that people ask the president all of the time now. And that is about the question that many Democrats are concerned about because they don't want him to run, because of this, his age and his fitness for office. And the president responded the exact same way that he always does when he's asked this question. Except this is probably my favorite one that I've seen. Here's part of his answer.
1: Come work out with me in the morning.
0: (laughs) Anytime, anytime. (laughs) So Tapper laughed off that offer to come work out with the president in the morning, which sounded more like a challenge to me. But I don't think that he should be laughing that off. Why not give the man a chance to prove himself? Every time he's asked this question, he responds by challenging whoever it is asking to a feats of strength challenge every single time. And if they're not going to accept this challenge and let him prove his fitness for office and put those concerns Democrats have to bed once and for all, would that not put their concerns to bed if he's just ripping up a workout that Tapper can't keep up with? So if they're not going to accept his offer, then stop asking the man the question. He's saying, come on, man, let's go to the gym right now and we'll see which one of us is really fit and who we should be worried about their fitness for office. Give them a chance. That's all I say. What a great programming opportunity for CNN right here. Televise this strength competition between Joe Biden and Jake Tapper. Make it one of those Sunday night CNN special reports. Can you imagine a camera crew following these two around the gym while they're spotting each other, doing some squats, some bench press, some curls, dumbbells, maybe some sit-ups, boxing, maybe playing some basketball one-on-one. I mean, that would be fantastic programming. CNN special report in the gym with the president. CNN's own Jake Tapper joins the commander-in-chief where he will attempt to make it through one of Biden's notoriously intense workout routines, a routine so hardcore that it is responsible for the deaths of dozens of White House staffers who foolishly thought they could keep up with the president. Then they just show a bunch of video footage of them moving around LA Fitness, Tapper's trying to bench press, the bar's tilting, it doesn't look like he's gonna make the bar all the way up. The president Biden, he's supposed to be there helping him out, spotting him. He's wandering around LA Fitness trying to sniff out who's on the nearest treadmill. Please, CNN, I'm telling you, make this happen. Our president is literally a character from an episode of Seinfeld. Or you think you're better than me? Go ahead, pick out anything in the room here. I'll lift it up over my head. <laughs> no
1: one is lifting anything. The television. <laughs>
0: This one's for you, Pop. It's go time.
1: (laughs) Go, my back.
0: There's our president every time someone asks him about his fitness for office. I would kind of like to see the Biden administration lean in to this whole Biden is senile angle. Because the criticisms aren't going to go away. I mean, they're just not going to stop. And we all see it. And trying to cover it up and... Tell us that we didn't see what we saw. We didn't hear what we heard. None of us believe it. And it just makes us think that you lie all the time, which they do. But it doesn't help that they have to do this on a daily basis. So why not just accept it? Say, yeah, he is senile and turn it into a feature, not a bug. A reason to vote for him is he is he is this senile and you're going to get another four years of some crazy, hilarious stuff. I mean, I think that's the approach that you go because that really takes away that conflict point with those criticisms when you undermine it. Yes, he is senile. That's why we love him. They could do something like this. Roll with me on this for a second. A series of TikTok videos starring the president. And you know how they do those quick cuts and stuff. And the whole theme is like, you thought you knew how senile the president was. And what they do in these videos, and they get Biden to play along with it. He will. I mean, he'll play along with anything. And they just... Take it to the extreme. They exaggerate, you know, beyond and they just really commit to it. It could be something like a staffer knocks on the door, pops his head into Biden's room. Mr. President, you have a, a presser in five minutes time to get up and get dressed. Cut away, cut back. Staffer pops his head in again. Mr. President looks over, sees the bathroom door open. The president is standing inside the bathtub. He's wearing a shirt as pants and pants as a shirt, like pants are pulled down over his head. And he's talking to an imaginary press gaggle. He's really on a roll. And, you know, you can tell just the way he's moving. You can't understand anything he's saying because, you know, it's all muffled because there's, you know, pants pulled down over his face. It also, the shower's on, obviously, so that makes it hard to hear as well. 30-second video like that, viral as F. And we'd all laugh. You do a series of those, and I'm telling you, his approval rating will absolutely skyrocket. And what's Peter Doocy going to say? You know, how much easier would that be for people to respond to? What a burden off of their shoulders. Yes, Mr. Ducey, what you saw is correct. The president was searching the crowd for a dead woman. Because you may or may not know this, the president can communicate with the dead, with those who have passed on. And he was simply searching for the ghost of his old friend to welcome her to float up on stage and get the reward and praise that she deserves for the fantastic work she did with our administration when she was in the world of the living. What's Peter Ducey going to say to that? What snarky comment is he going to say? None. You can't say anything to that. And you can't tell me that you wouldn't enjoy that approach. I would. I I would vote for Biden in 2024 if they promised me that's what we were going to get. Now let's talk about the top story of the past couple of days, which is that the television series known as the January Six hearings has finally come to an end with a drama-filled episode that aired this past Thursday. In a touching move, the cast of characters known as the Jan Six Committee gave the opening statement as well as the final words to one of their members who won't be returning to Congress next year. That is, of course, the bold, the beloved, and the brave Liz Cheney. Here's Liz reminding us of the evidence that they have shown what it's proven, and the threat that is still out there.
2: Our hearings last summer began with an outline of President Trump's multi-part plan to overturn the 2020 presidential election. We then proceeded to demonstrate each of these elements in detail with more than 20 hours of evidence. Today, we will see new evidence, but as the chairman said, we will also synthesize evidence you've seen before. The vast weight of evidence presented so far has shown us that the central cause of January 6th was one man, Donald Trump, whom many others followed. None of this would have happened without him. He was personally and substantially involved in all of it. Exactly how did one man cause all of this? Today, we will focus on President Trump's state of mind, his intent, his motivations, and how he spurred others to do his bidding and how another January 6th could happen again if we do not take necessary action to prevent it.
0: A moving opening statement from someone that I think we can all agree is a heroic American. It's hard not to well up with tears watching Liz as she shines here in the spotlight before she rides out into the sunset when her term in Congress ends this year. But Trump and Trump alone is responsible for something, an insurrection as they call it, that based on the laws of our nation, never actually happened. But that's okay, because when you're playing pretend, laws don't matter, and those responsible for these imaginary crimes in this world of fantasy must be held accountable, and they must be stopped before they commit yet another imaginary crime. They've been telling us this for quite a long time, that our democracy is facing an imminent threat that's greater than any we've ever faced before, and that if we don't do something now, that America will in fact be destroyed. And so will everything that we have ever known. I kind of have a hard time believing that they believe themselves when they're telling us this, when they're warning of our impending doom, because these hearings have been going on since June. And when you truly fear that our ultimate demise is upon us, you don't tease out the reveal of the evidence that you say is needed to stop it before it happens for five months. Because in the world of the non-pretend, That's what we call withholding evidence. And those who do it could find themselves facing obstruction of justice charges and even time in prison. Because if there is such a threat as they say that there is, if that's a fact, those who withhold that information about how we can stop it or that would enable us to stop it, well, they're as big of a threat as those who they point the finger at. But I digress. I know that we're not dealing in the realm of reality here. We're dealing with a television show. And they closed this finale episode out the same way that they started it, by passing the mic to the noblest among them, Liz Cheney, who attempted to inject some high drama into the show's final act. Take it away, Liz. Mr. Chairman, at some point, the Department of Justice
2: may well unearth the facts that these and other witnesses are currently concealing. But our duty today is to our country and our children, and our Constitution.
0: At some point, the Department of Justice may unearth facts, and then we need to hold them accountable. I'd love to hear a prosecutor say that during an actual legal proceeding. Your Honor, we may at some point unearth facts that prove the charges against the defendant, so we petition the court to keep the defendant detained indefinitely until those facts can be discovered, because we know that they one day will. Actually, come to think of it, maybe that is what the prosecutor in some of these January 6th insurrectionist you know trials, maybe that's what they argue because there are some of these guys who they have kind of been detaining indefinitely. I'm going to start this from the beginning because this is her closing statement and I won't stop at this time. I will point out for those who are watching though, the guy over her left shoulder, I think he's got red hair. He's got a real intense look on his face. He, he appears to be Looking down, his phone, looking down at his phone frequently, and he appears to be reading a text from someone that he's going to kill later.
2: Mr. Chairman, at some point, the Department of Justice may well unearth the facts that these and other witnesses are currently concealing. But our duty today is to our country and our children and our Constitution We are obligated to seek answers directly from the man who set this all in motion. And every American is entitled to those answers so we can act now to protect our republic. So this afternoon, I am offering this resolution that the committee direct the chairman to issue a subpoena for relevant documents and testimony under oath from Donald John Trump in connection with the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back.
1: General Lady yields back. If there's no further debate, the question is on agreeing to the resolution. Those in favor will say aye. 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 Those opposed is no. In the opinion
2: of the chair, the ayes have it. Mr. Chairman, I request a recorded vote. A
1: recorded vote is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Miss Cheney, aye. Miss Cheney, aye. Miss Lofgren, aye. Miss Lofgren, aye. Mr. Schiff, aye. Mr. Schiff, aye. Mr. Aguilar, aye. Mr. Aguilar, aye. Mrs. Murphy, aye. Mrs. Murphy, aye. Mr. Raskin, aye. Mr. Raskin, aye. Mrs. Luria, aye. Mrs. Luria, aye. Mr. Kinzinger? Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Chairman? Aye. Mr. Chairman, aye. The clerk will report the vote. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero nos. The resolution is agreed to. Without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid on the table.
0: Wow. Trump must be subpoenaed for the children. What a mic drop ending that was there. That's not me saying that. That's actually how this thing has been reported in the news, celebrated by people like Stephen Colbert and uh, the other late night shows and whatnot. For so long, we've been asking the question, will the January 6th committee subpoena Trump? And just when we thought it wasn't going to happen, bam, they close out the finale with their biggest move yet voting to subpoena Trump himself. You know what? I think I can help them out there a little bit with that last scene where they're all giving their individual votes. Let's hear that one more time. Mr. Chairman, I request a recorded vote.
2: A recorded
1: vote is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Ms. Cheney? Aye. Ms. Cheney, aye. Ms. Lofgren? Aye. Ms. Lofgren, aye. Mr. Schiff? Aye. Mr. Schiff, aye. Mr. Aguilar? Aye. Mr. Aguilar, aye. Mrs. Murphy, aye. Mrs. Murphy, aye. Mr. Raskin, aye. Mr. Raskin, aye. Mrs. Luria, aye. Mrs. Luria, aye. Mr. Kinzinger? Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Mr. Chairman? Aye. Mr. Chairman, aye. The clerk will report the vote. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes, zero noes. The resolution is agreed to.
0: That second vote there, not the first one they did, where they all shouted out and voted at the same time. The one they specifically did for camera, where the camera followed them around the room, capturing the super serious expressions each committee member had on their face as they voted aye, aye, aye. Why'd they do that? I mean, everyone just shouted aye. We knew what the vote was, so why did we do it again? They did it again because this is part of that new format they're experimenting with, the congressional hearing as a Netflix TV drama format that they are not bashful about talking about. That's why they did that a second time. They were producing the show in real time. And that second time around, that was the big finale scene that they had pre-scripted and rehearsed. I mean, this whole thing is tightly scripted and everything we've seen in all of these, it's been rehearsed. And this is not me saying this. This is, this is admitted. They brought in a TV producer to help them do this. The committee members were directed to stick to script. They had teleprompters throughout these hearings that they used to help them with their lines so, so that they could stick to script and keep things moving. And the purpose of that final scene there was to get each member on camera casting that big dramatic I vote so that we, the audience, could see the weight of that moment on their faces. My guess is that they will cut that portion, they will throw some music under dramatically, like I did, and then turn it into a campaign ad that we'll probably see here in the next couple of weeks. If not, we'll see it between 2022 and 24. That's why you do real-time producing like this, is to get something that you can use later. And that's why I thought that moment there was so interesting because you could see that new format that they're trying kind of shining through while at the same time seeing how bad they are at using that format. They're not very good at it. Go back and watch it again and look at how hard all of the committee members are face acting as the camera's panning around. Face acting is what people who aren't good at acting do. Who are bad at acting when they can't draw up real emotion. They don't know how to make themselves feel what their character is supposed to feel. So they overthink it and then they try really hard to make it look like they're feeling what they're actually not feeling. And it results in people making a bunch of weird expressions on their face that aren't believable and usually are pretty funny. You can tell looking at their faces that they knew the camera was going to be going around, that they knew that this was the big moment and that they had rehearsed this and they had been told how they were supposed to act and that they were in their head about it because they did it very poorly. Probably because they don't believe the nonsense that they say either and they don't have the acting chops to make it seem like they do, which is why they suck at this format and a problem that they're going to have to overcome. What else did we learn from this, you know, these hearings? Besides that, and the fact that we learned that these committee members are a bunch of narcissistic LARPers who got paid nearly 200k this year of our taxpayer money to get up there on national TV and perform bad community theater. I mean, we funded this trash. We funded the most highly paid community theater actors in the history of mankind to perform possibly the worst community theater in the history of mankind. I mean, that's got to be the worst use of American taxpayer money since at least last week when we shot Zelensky another $725 million of our money so that he can give more future weapons to the Nazis in the Azov Battalion. You know, one might start to think that perhaps the government doesn't spend our money very wisely. A crazy thought, a preposterous thought, of course, one that I, who wakes up every morning in solidarity with Ukraine, would never, ever, ever ponder. But one might think that. But that's neither here nor there. Let's jump into what I believe is the number one takeaway from these hearings, as stupid as they were, that nobody's talking about, probably on purpose, but they have broader global relevance. And I'm going to try and give you the condensed version of it. The number one goal of the January 6 hearings was not about Trump in January 6. That was the subject, quote, of the investigation. And Trump was the villain they cast but that was not the number one goal. The number one goal was about this new format in which the committee used to tell this story that Trump was the villain of. A format that Axios called a captivating new template for effective congressional hearings in the modern digital era. They're right on some of that, but they're off on some of the more important aspects of it First of all, it's not like a completed template that they've perfected. They're trying to create a new template, if you will, with the hopes of creating one that can be used for other bigger things on a global scale. And secondly, most importantly, they're not trying to create a new template for congressional hearings. That is not what they're doing at all. They are just experimenting with the template in that, in that setting. What they're trying to create is a new template for global governance, for global control. One that they can use for international war mobilization. One that they can use for global information warfare and subversion. A format that they can use to do these things, in their ideal anyway, from the comfort of their own home country. In their slippers. What they're basically trying to do is they're trying to merge Hollywood-style production and performance wholly with politics and conduct politics in the form of a gripping Netflix-style television drama, as we discussed earlier, that they can then stream directly into the minds of their target audiences through the various screens that are around us, which they see those as points of contact. That's how they view these screens, these psychological warfare operators do. I saw one of them talking during a panel discussion, and he said it's good that three-year-olds have phones in their faces all the time because that gives us a direct point of contact to basically indoctrinate and propagandize them unfiltered. Their parents can't intervene. Direct connection to their brains. This is beneficial to them, this format, in ways that are obvious, but also because of the technology and the connected world. They can reach people with their messages in, in the form of these dramatic, gripping TV shows in countries, including adversary countries, very quickly and very easily, almost instantaneously, actually. And the January 6 hearings were the early stages of this attempt to achieve this here in America. But if the idea is that they're going to essentially rely on a television series that is as gripping and addictive as our favorite Netflix show, they have to mirror more than just the production and the narrative structure and the episodic format that they were trying to mirror mirror with the January 6 hearings. They have to mirror the quality of the performance, the quality of the acting. This gets back to what I was talking about a moment ago, how they suck at the acting, which makes the whole thing suck. Nobody's watching Breaking Bad starring Liz Cheney. Not going to get the ratings there. This is why I think the World Economic Forum called for well-known actors to play a more prominent role in the creation of global policy and, and global governing, which they did in a paper earlier this summer. People like Cheney and Schiff are going to be replaced with people who are good performers. The performers might not be people who are well-known, or maybe they will, but we see it already. AOC is an actor. Okay, they, they, They're going to start bringing in people that have true acting chops. That's going to become a mark of political leaders of the future. The ability to embody the role, the character that they're playing in an authentic and believable way that can be captured on camera in a television series style format. Which brings me to my final point on this. The January 6th hearings were the domestic experiment in this governance model. Any guesses on what the international experiment with this model is? That would be the World War three mobilization effort led up by the man cast in the lead role, Vladimir Zelensky. That is the international experiment. Same experiment. One domestic, one international. I'm going to play you one clip I'm going to stop it a couple of times of Zelensky's personal Goebbels, the Ukrainian Goebbels, where she is talking about the lessons learned from the successful information warfare that she and others have been conducting in the Russia-Ukraine war. And she's also given recommendations. Specifically, she's given the recommendation to get Hollywood to conduct the information warfare on behalf of the government.
3: My fourth position would be using Hollywood. Hollywood springs to action because in today's world, world we see more and more how entertainment and politics mutually penetrate each other. We all remember that uh, President Zelensky also comes from the entertainment world.
0: This is why I think that to the January 6th committee and those behind it, the format and getting that workable format they can use at scale is more important than actually getting Trump because We see the same thing here. What they're doing here with Zelensky is they're doing an experiment in exercising global power using a Hollywood-style narrative structure led by literally an actor who has a production studio where you can see him in front of a green screen being produced on some of these these videos that do have some of that background stuff there. She's right about Hollywood and politics penetrating each other. They always have, but the line between them is fading away. It's pretty much going to be gone. I mean, you can hardly find a TV show that doesn't have an obvious political agenda within it, and you can hardly turn on the news without seeing some politician or activist working on behalf of an agenda, doing some theatrical performative stunt masked as fighting for a political cause, just to capture our attention. I mean, AOC does it all the time. Stacey Abrams, I'll remind you, was accepted to an exclusive arts high school when she was like 16 that she had to audition for, and her original focus was acting before she switched to politics. She also was recently cast as the president of the world in Star Trek Discovery. Rachel Maddow is in, I believe, every single episode of Batwoman as the voice of Gotham who sets the context at the very beginning of the show. The line is blurring and it's intentionally being blurred. But the problem they have in achieving this full merging, which I talked about a little bit earlier too, but this is the other side of it, is when the January 6th hearings tried to be like Hollywood TV series, it sucked real bad because they're Bad at it. They're bad acting. And when a TV show tries to be political, forcing an agenda down our throats and casting politicians that are divisive in them, the shows are terrible and they get canceled. So they both suck at it. But they're going to keep trying to improve. She spells this out even more in this next clip.
3: This story attracts so many directors, writers, and Hollywood stars like uh, Sean Penn, Angelina Jolie, Mila Kunis. They are attracted to get in touch of the history in making through introduction to the political leader, political star, who came from the entertainment world. While President Zelensky is the most popular Ukrainian now in the face of Ukrainian resistance, uses these opportunities to promote Ukraine in the world political agenda.
0: Did you catch that? She can be hard to understand. The political star who came from the entertainment world, talking about Zelensky, whether well, they're attracted to him, and while Zelensky is the most popular Ukrainian now, the face of the Ukrainian resistance, using these opportunities to promote Ukraine in the world political agenda. That's what she said there, and again, she's talking about this in the context of how to successfully conduct information war. Get get Hollywood, use their storytelling te- telling techniques, and give a. Actor frontman who can do it well. All right, we got about, I think, 30 more seconds of this clip. And in the next one, she really just says what we've all known has been going on for quite some time. But first time you're ever going to hear one of these people who are worked behind the scenes talk this openly and this giddily about it.
3: And, of course, we, not, we don't need to forget that um, all of this is happening online as much as never. We literally are watching a live online show where we can condemn the enemies and cheer for brave heroes.
0: We're watching a on, live online show. It's all happening on live where we can condemn the enemies and cheer the heroes. You see the parallels with January six again.
3: My New York Times friend, Andrew Kramer, said that nowadays everyone wants to be a Ukrainian a little bit. Uh, Every Ukrainian soldier and volunteer contributed to this. And most of all, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who naturally changed his image, forgetting about proper suits and tidy shaving for the other more appropriate uh, version of him.
0: Do you want to be Ukrainian a little bit? Do you feel that way? Do you lay in bed at night saying, man, I I wish I could be more like the Ukrainians, you know? No, probably not. And I'm, I don't really buy that, but that that's what they want to be true. And the way they're attempting to manifest this into being is by conducting information warfare, not against Russia, against the American people, with the objective being to create that sentiment of wanting to be like the Ukrainians, wanting to be like Z, like Zelensky among Americans. It's like the old Gatorade commercials, like, I want to be like Mike, except it's be like Z. Because if they can get Americans to want to be like Z, then Americans will continue supporting sending tax money over to the Ukrainians. Give them all of our money because we're in solidarity. And eventually, if the time comes that Z calls for us to send troops on the ground over there and to officially join the war and fight alongside Z, we don't, we can't be like Z. Or maybe we can. We can go fight next to him. Then the American people may very well support that war effort as well. This is mobilization right here. World War III mobilization that I was talking about earlier, using that same Hollywood production strategy to conduct information war that the January 6th committee was using. So they're conducting information war against the American people. The January 6th people are conducting information war against the American people using the same strategy they're both trying to perfect. It's coming from all sides. And what's really wild about this is is that both the January 6th committee and Zelensky claim to be fighting for the exact same cause against the exact same enemy. They both claim to be fighting to protect democracy in the face of an anti-democratic authoritarian enemy who is intent on destroying it once and for all. That enemy, according to Jan 6 people, is Trump and MAGA Republicans who question the elections. And according to Zelensky, it's Putin and the Russian military. This is the same experiment in this new style of politicking. Is that, a, is that a word? Politicking. One's just domestic, the other's international. The difference being that the Jan 6 committee's efforts are like the community theater version of Vladimir Zelensky's effort. For example, as she said, Zelensky molded himself with his wardrobe, his, his facial hair, into the character that he was cast to play. Got rid of the suits. He needed to be the everyman. He needed the green shirt on so he could be more relatable. The January 6 committee didn't do that. But they're going to have to. Which is why it is important for this model that they're playing with, it's important for them to start filling the political ranks with people who have good acting chops. On camera, good on-camera acting chops. This is an online digital show, just like she said, designed to grip us. I mean, personally, I think that both operations are weak. I, I, don't, I, I don't think Zelensky's a good actor. I think he's a terrible actor. I think he's a lot better than Cheney. I mean the The media bending over backwards to pretend that was a big mic drop moment was hilarious because that was one of the worst performances by all of them that that I've ever seen. It was embarrassing. So he's better than them, but i, I honestly think Zelensky's a a bad actor. I, I don't think he does a good job. They would have us believe otherwise. but it, it just it, I, I I think the reason people are really buying into the whole solidarity thing is because the media is hammering us over the head with the idea that everybody else I think they're using a bandwagon effect and tribalism. I don't, I don't think it's his acting that's working. So I guess that was my condensed short version of that. Before we get to the final story of the day, which is going to be about a ping pong player who just doesn't know how to not give 150%. I want to tell you guys what we're going to talk about in the DNB XR, which is when going woke backfires and lands your trans kid in the military and 100 Things You're Not Supposed to Know, number two. If you want to get access to that subscriber-only content, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. That's how I fund the show. What you will get along with that subscriber-only content is you will get this show, the DNB, ad-free. i remove the ads from the Patreon feed. You get that directly to your private Patreon RSS feed, along with the subscriber-only XR content also directly to that private feed. You can also make a one-time donation to PayPal via the PayPal link on the Megaphone show notes. And also, if you like the show, share it with your friends if you think they'll be into it. And if you want to help get the show more exposure and keep me motivated, leave me a five-star review with a comment that warms my heart. It really does help. Keeps morale high and, like I said, keeps me motivated. Okay, on to the final story of the day. I am a pretty competitive person when I play games or sports. I typically go all out when I play, whether it's a game of basketball or a game of Scrabble, I'm playing to win. And I came across a video earlier this week of a guy who seems to share a similar competitive spirit, actually even more of a competitive spirit than I do. A guy who is clear he has never given less than 150%. He leaves it all out on the field of play. And here it is. This is a video, and you will see his passion. This is a man inside what appears to be a bar, in the midst of a ping pong game. There you see. Yeah, this looks like a bar. I see the wait, the bartender back there behind the bar, and it looks like the, it looks like a nice little crowd has gathered around the two playing this game, and the man with the shirt off over here appears to be doing a backhand shot. A little flair for the dramatic showing off a bit. Let's find out what happens next. For those listening only, I'm going to let this play. It's short. You will hear some commotion, and then I will tell you what happened. I don't think that was America's Funniest Home Video Stage. Okay, so the guy just dove into the middle of the ping pong table trying to spike a shot. And he lands on the table, splitting it down the middle vertically, like it folded up, like it was a sandwich and he was the meat folded up on him as he crashed through it to the floor. This is a guy who's playing with his shirt off and he, he has what might be described as a healthy beer gut who just moments before this was trying to show off by hitting shots behind his back. (laughs) What was he trying to do there?
1: Did
0: did he win that point? I think he might have won that point. Because he dove on the table to spike the ping pong ball down. And I think he won the point in the process. Because he was trying to spike it. Let me see. He did. He won that point. I, I didn't even realize he won the point the first time I watched that. Good for him. I mean, you got to leave it all out on the t- on the field, the table, whatever. Just split that table right down in half. That was, I don't think that was staged. I think that was real. I think that guy, he, he just, he wasn't going to lose. He saw a chance to get that spike and he took it. All right, y'all, that'll do it for the Drive Time News Blast today. The conversation will continue in the subscriber-only portion of the show, the DMBXR, which you can get access to by going to patreon.com slash propagandareport and subscribing there today. You can also find the Propaganda Report podcast wherever you get your podcasts, but you obviously know that. Again, tell a friend about it. Leave a five-star review. It warms my heart. keeps me motivated and helps us grow. We'll talk to you next time. Oh, check out the new website, propagandafight.com. Have a fantastic rest of your day.